Grab your Bibles or whatever you're going to be reading the Word of God in or with and make your way to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be wrapping up chapter 9 this morning, beginning in verse 57, and we'll work our way through verse 62. Uh, just as a reminder, we're going through the Gospels as chronologically as possible through this series called Tell Me the Story of Jesus. So we've been jumping around in the Gospels um, to try to bring the entire ministry and message of Jesus to light. And we'll be using a little bit of Matthew, as you can see. This passage is also found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Our focus this morning is following Jesus. Before we get started, though, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for loving us, for freeing us, for giving us life, for the promise that you are madly in love with us, the love that we talk about and praise you about and worship you for, but won't fully understand until we see you one day face to face. I pray if there's someone here this morning who does not know you as your Lord and Savior, that your spirit would begin working on their heart in this very moment. And as we go through your word, that your spirit would guide and lead us. And we would be receptive to what your word is telling us. As you continue to be glorified, your kingdom and will continue to be done in this place. And we thank you for what's going to happen here this morning. We pray us all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, one thing I love about traveling is if, if you're willing, you can tend to meet some interesting people. This last December, Jamie and I went to go celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary, and we went down to Gulf Shores, Alabama with no kids. It was wonderful. <laughs> um, I told Jamie, when we do these sort of trips, usually we would go with her family and we'd stay in the house down there. But when we do these trips, I typically don't like to plan anything. So I told her the only plan I had for this particular trip is I want to eat good food. Um, that's it. Every day, good food. And so she could find some activities for us to partake in in the days that we were going to be down there. And one day, we found ourselves in Magnolia Springs, Alabama. It's a really cool, small town. Uh, you can look it up online, don't do it right now, but you can look it up online and actually have this street within the town where the tree branches go over the road and it creates this natural tunnel. And so as we pulled into the town, we decided we're going to walk down the street. I mean, you can obviously drive down it, but we're going to walk down this street that the town was famous for. And I got to tell you, there's not a whole lot in Magnolia Springs. Uh, there's a Dollar General. I think there was a Dollar Tree uh, there's at least one gas station, and then there's this steakhouse that seems really out of place in this small town, but at the time we were there, it was constantly busy, people going in and out. And so as we're doing our little walking tour, we walked back to where we parked our car, and we saw this sign that said it was a little trail that would take us down to a pier. And on that particular pier, as we walked down there, we met a man by the name of Joshua. Now, he's a very friendly guy. We walked up behind him, and he was just sitting there looking out across the water, kind of a little canal or a little river type thing that flowed in from the Gulf. And as we walked up on him, he greeted us very friendly, like I said, offered him. He had two things in his hands. He had a bag from Dollar General, and he had a bag of peanut M&Ms. 
And he looked at us and he said, would you like some peanut M&Ms? And we said, no, thank you. And then he said, would you like a beer? And we said, no, thank you to that as well. That's what he had in the other bag. Um, But we began talking. He began telling us about the town and began telling us about people of the town. And he actually gave us names, which I I don't know why, because we weren't going to go, hey, are you John? You know, but he told us about everything. And he told us that morning when he woke up, he decided he was going to go for a swim. And after he was done swimming, he saw manatees. And he told us it wasn't on this particular pier, but if we were to go down the road a little bit, there was another pier that only the locals knew about, and we may be able to make it down there, and the manatees may still be around swimming. And so Jamie and I were intrigued, um, and as we were getting ready to walk back to our car to drive down, uh, I had to ask him something. I wanted to know, so what do you do? (laughs) Because the guy was probably in his 30s. It was one o'clock in the afternoon, and he was hanging out on a pier, eating peanut M&Ms and drinking beer. And so when I asked him, what do you do? He says, well, typically I wake up in the morning, I go for a swim, I go down to the store, get something to eat, grab a couple beers, and then I ride my bike around town until supper. And I eat, and then I just hang out. And it didn't make sense to me whatsoever. And I didn't say it to him to his face, but as we're walking back to the car, I looked at Jamie and I said, he's got to be in witness protection. Because he told me where he moved from. And just in case he is from witness protection, I'm not going to say where he moved from, but it is known for the mob. So he's either in witness protection or he had won the lottery. A couple years ago, we were all driving home. The whole family was with us. And this time we were, again, coming back from Gulf Shores, Alabama, and it was getting close to lunchtime. We had left really early that morning, and I didn't want to stop in the next big city that was coming up, and so I pulled over to a Burger King attached to a gas station, and I figured we'd go to the restroom, we can get some food, and as we walked in, we were definitely the minority in this particular Burger King. As I stood in line, a guy got right behind me. I mean, I could, I could feel him behind me. I could feel his breath on my neck. And even if I know you, I still want a little bit of personal bubble space, right? And so I was starting to get uncomfortable. And so this guy, who appeared to be coming off of something, speaks out at the top of his lungs. So not only people in the Burger King would hear, but the people in the gas station would hear. And he says this. I bet you all are pretty nervous with all these black people around. I thought in my head, I wasn't until now. (laughs) And so I gave Jamie the keys very discreetly, had her take the kids out to the car, and said, I'll just bring the food to you. Final occasion, Jamie had taken a personal day from school. She's a teacher. And it was a late fall day, so we decided that we were going to go for a hike. One of our favorite places to go for a hike and get outdoors is going down to Arkansas. And so we did a hike which leads out to a place called the Crag. And since it was an odd day of the week, there weren't very many people out there. Actually, by the time we got out to the destination, the lookout spot, there were only three other couples, and they were already ready to head back. So we had the entire area to ourselves for about 30 minutes where we could have a picnic just right there. We weren't on the ledge, but we were out on the area where you could look out. And so eventually another couple came, 
And I began a conversation with them, and they told me that they had been touring all along the East Coast, and they've made their way to the Midwest, and they're on their way to go to Washington State because this whole tour was to see the leaves changing across the nation. So I figured, okay, you're either retired, witness protection, or you won the lottery. And they proceeded to tell me about all the beautiful colors that they saw out in Delaware, and the trees changing in Boston and North and South Carolina and Ohio. And they were disappointed because as they came to Arkansas, none of the trees had begun to change. And again, I had a thought in my head of all the places that they had seen and all the places that they were going as we looked out over this beautiful scenery, if this was the most disappointing part of this trip, they should really count their blessings. Our passage this morning... Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. It's debatable on whether, when this event happened, and whether it's Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem to partake of the Passover, or the time he journeyed to Jerusalem with the Feast of Booths, which is seen in John chapter 7. In either case, Jesus encounters three individuals on this journey. Two of the individuals want to pledge their allegiance to Jesus. One gives him an exception, and one is called by Jesus directly, but tells Jesus why he can't follow him at this particular moment in time. So let's read and we'll walk through this. Beginning in verse 57, the word of the Lord says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he, being Jesus, said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but... Let me first say well, farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So as we can see in the passage, we have three individuals in which we're all going to be given three different lessons from these individuals in their interaction with Jesus. So I'm going to be a good Southern Baptist preacher this morning and deliver a three-point sermon. There are a few minor differences between Luke and Matthew's account recording this event. Matthew tells us that the first individual, which we read of in verse 57, was a scribe. Now, scribes were responsible for teaching and interpreting and regulating the law for the Jewish people. And whoever this scribe was, he would at one time have been associated with the religious leaders who were opposed to Jesus. But in this particular moment, he's having a change of heart concerning who Jesus is, and he's pledging his allegiance to him. The word follow, which is a key word in our passage, it's mentioned three different times, implies recognizing Jesus as a teacher and wanting to become one of his pupils in order to learn from him. Now, unlike the other two, the first individual gives no excuse. Nothing is given by him on why he could not follow Jesus. We don't know if he actually did, but Jesus delivers an animal metaphor there in verse 58 to make sure that this particular individual understands what he is pledging himself to. The saying implies foxes and birds have a place of shelter, 
They have a place of security. They have a place where they can find peace and rest, but the Son of Man has none of these things. The title Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite titles that he uses of himself. It's taken from the prophecies in the book of Isaiah, and it's the fourth individual that's seen in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. And so what Jesus is wanting this individual who has come to him and said, I will follow you wherever you go. He wants him to understand and wants us to get it that following Jesus is not meant to be comfortable. First four individuals Jesus called to follow him were Andrew, Peter, James, and John. They were all fishermen, and Jesus issued this call to them. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The call to them was to allow Jesus to take them from where he found them and to change or transform them into what he needed them to be. And that is our call in following Christ as well. And we have to be honest, even though we're Southern Baptists, none of us really like change. We all like the routine. I know I do. And when things change or go out of routine or out of my plan, I tend to become a little bit of a mess But change is exactly what Jesus is telling this individual, that he's going to have to be changed. And the word the Bible uses when speaking of change, there's two of them, sanctification and transformation. To be sanctified means to be set apart from the world. It's to be different. The word transformation, when used in Scripture, is the word we get metamorphosis in the English. It means to be changed completely in order to become more like Jesus. Jesus defined following him in Matthew chapter 16 by saying, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now the cross, we all understand, was a symbol of death. Jesus is telling us that to follow him requires self-denial. We lose our identity because it is now found in Christ We could say we lose ourselves because now our identity is attached to Christ. We die to our former lives so we can live for Christ. And this is what Paul was alluding to when he wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. Now, whoever this scribe was, who's pledging his allegiance to Jesus... Jesus wanted him to understand that his life was going to be completely changed, completely different. See, scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees would be similar to lobbying politicians today, and that they're always seeking power, always seeking positions of authority, all while they live luxurious lives. And so for this scribe to follow Jesus, Jesus wanted him to know that he's going to have to leave that lifestyle. And the lifestyle he is going to encounter in following Christ is going to be completely different. The second individual that we're introduced to is found in verse 59. This individual is actually invited by Jesus to follow him. Yet the individual, the second one and the third one, they each give excuses on why they can't follow Jesus at this particular moment in time. And what a sad part of someone's life to say that the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, invited you 
to follow him, to be with him, and then you've given an excuse on why you can't do that. The invitation Jesus gives to this individual would have been to become one of his students, to become one of his disciples, to be a pupil of his, to sit under his teachings and have opportunities to do deeper instruction, deeper understanding that the majority of the crowds never would have gotten. Now, we have to understand in the Jewish culture, it was considered a great honor when a rabbi would personally invite a student to be their disciple. Jewish boys didn't grow up wanting to be famous. They didn't want to grow up to be a professional athlete. Jewish boys wanted to be called and invited by a rabbi. That was their dream, to have a prestigious teacher come to them personally and see potential in them and invite them to be one of their students. As God's people, we should consider it an honor not a burden when God invites us to be a part of what he is doing. Yet a lot of times we give excuses on why we can't. It seems the individual has a rational reason why he couldn't follow Jesus at this particular moment of time. Verse 59, or sorry, verse 60. No, 59. <laughs> the end of 59. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. In Jewish culture, it was considered a non-negotiable responsibility for children to take care of their parents' funeral arrangements. It was considered the last way a child could honor their father and mother and obey the fifth commandment. And if a child did not honor this responsibility, they would be considered dishonorable and wicked. So it seemed this individual has a legitimate reason why he can't follow Jesus at this particular moment in time. The problem is When a parent was on their deathbed, all of the family would show up, and they would show their respects, and they would begin the mourning process. It would be similar today when doctors tell us you should invite the family in, the hour is getting near, so they can pay their final respects. But in this day, in Jesus' day, they would begin making arrangements for the funeral. It's not like ours today where, you know, we go to a funeral home, we sing a couple songs, uh, you read an obituary, maybe family and friends share something, a pastor gives up and gives a message. In the Jewish community, the family would begin preparing and they would hire mourners, weepers. They would hire people to raise such a commotion that everyone in the town and village would hear how much pain the family was going through. And the service would start in the home. As they would take the individual who died in their bed, and they'd pretty much do this parade, and they would carry the dead family member through the town, and all the hired mourners would weep, and they would yell all the way to the place where they were going to arrest the body. The type of funeral the Jewish people put on would drive Richard Campbell nuts. But we have seen this in Jesus' miracles, this sort of mourning and weeping And so Jesus' response in verse 60 seems kind of harsh. But here's the thing. The implication is that the father is not dead. Because if the father was dead, the son would already be there. And if he was dying, the son would already be there. And so the son just wants to go home and wait for his father to die before he begins following Jesus. Because he's not home. Father wasn't nearing his death. 
He's just getting older. And so Jesus' response seems odd because he says, let the dead bury their dead. But we know dead people don't bury dead people. And Jesus is telling this man, let the spiritually dead take care of the dead. Meaning, let those who aren't following Jesus take care of dead things. But those who are following Jesus are to proclaim life. That's why he says, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So Jesus is telling this man, he's telling us that following Jesus is to let go of worldly things. There's not a person in this room who hasn't been tempted to attach themselves to the things of this world. It might be money, material things, the idea of retirement, vacation, sports, recreational activities, working out, relationships, and even family. And Jesus is telling this man, he's telling us that our utmost priority must be to him and not to the things of this world which are going to pass away. Paul would write to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So we need to place Jesus as our utmost priority in this life as we follow him. Now, the man's excuse to Jesus' cause, he couldn't do it right now. He wasn't ready. It wasn't a good time for him. He had things that he had to take care of first. He had matters to attend to. His schedule was already filled up. And I pray we never tell God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, when they call us to do something, you know, it's just not a good time for me right now. Jesus' response to this man and us is that time is too short to not be about and a part of God's kingdom's work. Final individual is introduced to us in verse 61. Much like the first one we, met, we encountered in verse 57, this individual comes to Jesus and he declares his allegiance with an exception. He appears before following Jesus. This individual wants to go home and say goodbye to his family. He even calls Jesus Lord in verse 61, which means master. But then he delivers his but excuse. And the reason doesn't seem far-fetched. I mean, the prophet Elijah allowed his student Elisha to go home and to say goodbye to his family before coming and following in the prophetic ministry. So it would seem to make sense that Jesus would allow the same privilege as the great prophet of old. Yet Jesus' response seems a little cryptic in verse 62. He says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here he's using a farming metaphor. The plow would be the tool that the farmers would use to make lines in the field so they could plant the seed. It would be typically pulled by an ox or a mule. And in order for the farmer to make sure he was creating straight lines, he had to keep his face forward or straight. He couldn't look back because if he looked back, the animal might weave and go the wrong direction and make curved lines. And so we have to start all over again. And so Jesus is telling this man in verse 62 that following Jesus is to push forward. No matter what comes in life, as we, call, as we follow Jesus, we're to press on. 
No matter what frustrations may arise as we're involved in the ministry for the kingdom, we are called to press on. While Paul was in prison, he wrote a letter to the Philippian believers, and he says this, but one thing I do, remember he's in prison for preaching the gospel, and he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a time in ministry, I've been in the ministry now for over 23 years. There's a time in the ministry I was ready to quit. Jamie and I and the kids may not remember, but we had back-to-back horrendous experiences with church. And I was on staff, and so I got to experience it. There's still questions I have about one of those experiences, but our daughter, Abby, had, had just turned one. And I, I'd recently been asked to step down with no reason given. None of the personnel committee knew about it. Most of the deacons didn't know about it. Budget committee didn't know about it. People actually thought we were leaving to go on to another ministry. It was something so dark and so secretive, I don't even know what happened. And Abby was one, so I had some time off. (laughs) Um, I felt pretty burned. And so we would go on walks in the spring. And, well, she would do it in a stroller because she really couldn't walk that far. But I'd be pushing her, and I remember on those walks I would constantly ask God questions. I would constantly complain to God, and I know nobody here has ever complained to God about anything. But I remember on one of those particular walks, it was a sunny day, and we were going down the street, well, on the sidewalk, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak directly to my heart and say, Mike, I called you into this ministry, and until I call you out, this is where you're to be. Basically, he's telling me to press on. But it's not just in ministry, it's in following Jesus. Following Jesus is never intended to be easy. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It's going to be hard in following Jesus. I don't know if you've ever started working out, but it's going to be a lot like that. It's going to be sore. There's going to be aches and pains. There's going to be times you're going to want to just quit because it's too hard and you're tired and you want to give up. But the calling to follow Jesus is to press on. It's to push forward. You know, if we were to turn to the book of Acts, which we won't for the sake of time this morning, or if we were to read some of Paul's letters in the New Testament, we would see this constant calling in following Jesus is a call to persevere. It's a call to endure. If you read through the book of Acts, you would see that the early believers were heavily persecuted. They were thrown in prison. They were martyred for their faith, which means they were killed for their faith. They were beaten and they're ridiculed. There's actually a story in the book of Acts concerning the apostle Paul He goes to this village to preach the gospel, to proclaim Jesus. 
And the villagers all turn on him. They beat him so bad and stoned him so much, they actually thought they killed him. And so they take him outside the village to dump his body. The next day, Paul wakes up. You would think, well, it's probably a good sign to move on. But what does Paul do? He goes back to the same village where he was just beaten and begins proclaiming the gospel once again. Because following Jesus is to push forward. The writer of Hebrews wrote that, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, hear that again, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's telling us to press on and to push forward because that's what our Savior did. And there's going to be times of difficulty. There's going to be times of uncertainty. There's going to be times of loneliness and doubt. But we push forward. There's going to be times in following Jesus we're going to have to make a decision that is not the popular one and is going to go against people in our lives, maybe even family members. There's going to be times we're going to have to make decisions based upon the Word of God, which may hurt or offend somebody. But as believers, you know, we don't have the eye of the tiger like Rocky, but we have the eye and the heart for the kingdom. As mentioned, the time of this event is uncertain. We've attached it to John chapter 7 when Jesus went back to the Feast of Booze, but it could be that it's attached to Jesus' final journey when he went to Jerusalem for the Passover. In either case, Jesus knew that the religious leaders wanted to kill him. Jesus knew the excruciating pain and the death that was awaiting him. Jesus knew the betrayals that were going to come. Jesus knew that those closest to him were going to hide in fear and they were going to have their doubts. Yet through all of those things, Jesus pushed forward because he was going to reveal to the world how much God loved them. And because Jesus pushed forward, that's why we refer to it as the gospel. And here's the gospel because someone may need to hear it this morning. God created you for a relationship with him. It is our sin that separates us from that relationship. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also tells us that the wages or the cost of sin is death. And I know we all die, but that death is referring, for, referring to the eternal separation from the God of the living. It goes on in that verse in Romans 6.23 that even though the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible says that we can't be good enough, we can't go to church enough, you can't give enough money to ministry or good things. The Bible says the only way to receive that eternal gift is by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus came and lived a perfect life according to the law of God. And he died on the cross to take the sins of the world upon him. He took God's wrath, a wrath that we deserved. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later. And the Bible says when we admit to God that we are a sinner 
And we believe in our heart that God loves us that much he would send his son to take our punishment and that he rose to show that he has the power over death, the authority to forgive sins and grant eternal life. The Bible says and we believe that to be true. We don't have to understand every theological thing about it, but we believe that to be true. We must confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that means to make it public. So you may be here this morning, that's something you need to do. We're going to have a time of invitation. And I'm going to ask you to come down, and you just have to say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I want eternal life. We'll pray together. We'll celebrate together. And as I said almost every week, there won't be a person in this room who won't be celebrating with you. I want to ask Nick and Bridget to come up and lead us, and I want to pray over us real quick. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for calling us to such an incredible task and then empowering us to do it. Father, we pray that you continue to speak to our hearts, continue to help us know how we can follow you, be courageous for you, be like your disciples when they're in prison. They, they came back and they said, we need to pray for more boldness. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that has yet to accept you as their Lord and Savior, yet to make that publicly known, I pray your spirit will come upon them and you will give them the courage and the strength to walk down these aisles so that today can be the day of their salvation. Forgive us if we failed you in any way. We ask you to continue to be glorified in this moment. Praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.